Well, I want to thank everyone for uh, listening today. This is Ken Feith with the podcast Back in the Day at the Metro Archives from the Metropolitan Archivist for Nashville. And today we have a, a really special guest, and I'm really pleased to have him. His, um, his time is very precious, so uh, I want to thank you for being here, Mr. Harden. I have Hal Harden. He um, was a U.S. attorney, U.S. district attorney. He's been a judge. He's been a, he is a lawyer. He's got um, numerous credentials, so I'm, I'm pleased to have him here today. And, and 50 years ago, on May 24th, 1968, um, Haney Gurley was killed in Nashville, and the, the trial, the, the, all the, the parts that, that came into that in Nashville 50 years ago really trumped a lot of things that were going on. Uh, otherwise, uh, it was more, uh, more coverage to this than things like the Vietnam War, the, the race riots, all sorts of things. And um, Mr. Harden, I was curious as to how you how you came on to this. How how did you first get started with this this case? Well, uh, th- thank you first for inviting me. It's an honor to uh, to, to be here with you. Uh, and I, I want to say, uh, 1968 was an incredible year. <laughs> it was the year uh, Martin Luther King was killed, and Bobby Kennedy was killed, and uh, Teddy Kennedy had the um, accident in, in Nantucket. There were race riots in Vietnam. Uh, there was an axe murder that took place about the same time. It was a, it was a violent, <laughs> a uh, active time. But the way I became involved in it, I was a, uh, a graduating senior at, at Vanderbilt Law School, and uh, I worked uh, three jobs, and one of wow. which was a part-time a criminal investigator for Tom Shriver, who was a DA. Uh, it's hard to believe that <laughs> law, law students could be investigators <laughs> but, but in a DA's office, but that, that was the way it was, uh, three or four of us anyway. Had a gun and had my own car. Mm-hmm. I thought I was really a <laughs> Good day uptown, Dick yeah. Tracy or somebody. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the way I became involved in this case, I was with investigator George Curry from the DA's office, and we got a call over the radio that there had been a shooting on Elm Hill Pike. Uh, and we rushed there uh, and were told en route that uh, the body uh, had been moved uh, to General Hospital. Mm-hmm. So we went to General Hospital uh, and we went into, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, it was a morgue or the operating room, mm-hmm. but there was there was Haney Gurley, uh, very distinct in my mind. He, mm-hmm. uh, he had his shirt off <clears throat> and I could see... Uh, where the bullets had hit him, I'd, I'd never seen anything like that before. That's amazing. There was it was blue around it, like the area was bruised. Mm. Uh, he had a very large stomach, and his shirt was off, and they, he obviously had bled a lot. But wow. they had cleaned it up by the time we got there. Uh, but that's when I first became interested uh, in, in the case, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I formed certain immediate opinions about mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. because of the way the bullets looked and the, and the, the angle of, of the bullets. Mm. And then uh, the next thing that happened was <clears throat> I was waiting to take the bar and in the interim, uh, it's a long story, but I, I was appointed the uh, acting director of the St. Louis Job Corps Center for Women. And I had mm-hmm. Several hundred young girls who were about my age as students and 250 staff members. And, Good, right. And I was in St. Louis, and 
and uh, the murder happened on, on May the 24th, 68. And sometime around February or March, uh, the DA called me in St. Louis and said, uh, I'd like for you to come back and be one of my assistants. And I told him I had a pretty good job here, and I wasn't sure about all that. But, <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, but I said, there's one way you get me back if you really want me. Mm-hmm. And he said, what? And I said, I want to be the third man at the council table on the prosecution team. How about that? Because I realized that this was going to be um, one of the trials of the century. It had all the earmarks of a, a great mystery, mm-hmm. uh, had some great players in it. And plus, it was pitting against each other the two titans of the bar, mm. as Jack Norman Sr. Mm-hmm. and John Hooker Sr., who were known nationally. They were friends of presidents. And, That's uh, amazing. And, and represented some really high people and had tried some phenomenal national cases and local cases. So <clears throat> he said, oh, you got it. So I came, <laughs> wow. I came back to Nashville and I got— um, an apartment next to the courthouse, and uh, that's how I got on the case. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, that's um, that's pretty incredible that uh, you, you first you're, you're a, just a law student, and then we're sitting down and and saw Mr. Gurley there, you know, and saw the body and and all that, and then you come back to be the third seat on this jury, and you had um, um, some pretty amazing attorneys there. I guess I can, I can see where that opportunity would come. You know. It's, Pretty incredible. I mean, what was your impressions of the first few days? Or now, the trials, the the um, I guess the the shooting, and then the investigation took a while, and then the trial started after that. So, yes. were you in on the investigation? Any part of that? Uh, I, I I was on the investigation for maybe a month or so uh-huh. before, uh-huh. Uh, as I recall, before I went to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but I wasn't involved in the grand jury. The calling of witnesses. I wasn't mm-hmm. involved in that. Mm-hmm. I was just in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I came back about the time that Mr. Powell was indicted. I see. And um, he didn't ask for a continuance. So he he was ready to go to trial. Really? I think he was indicted like wow. uh, three or four months before he went to trial. Wow. And there was no delay. So really, so you were there from day one of the trial. I and, was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and had the opportunity to have, have a great front row seat uh, to watch these uh, uh, wonderful, skillful uh, lawyers try this case. Mm-hmm. Well, I can imagine um, with with all the pieces to this, and um, it was quite the thing for Nashville at that time, you know. And uh, so, you, and you said there were other you had you had the, the prosecution and the defense, and then you had other attorneys that would. Bring information in. Yeah, there were there were there were lawyers from everybody's office that mm-hmm. were seated behind the the counsel table. I'd say the defense had four or five, and we probably had four or five mm-hmm. lawyers that mm-hmm. would do things, go out and make telephone calls, or or research a point of law, do things like that. It was it was very well uh, uh, stocked, if you will, with yeah. lawyers. Yeah. Well, I guess fifty, you know, fifty years ago, technology is quite different. And we were talking uh, um, earlier, and you said that um, was it the reporters would come in, uh, and this this trial is so fascinating that this trial was, uh, you say, uh, was printed ver- almost verbatim in the newspaper, and they would they would come in and swap out. Yeah. Uh, it- it wasn't almost verbatim. It was it verbatim. It was verbatim. Uh, 
Never been a trial exactly like that. And the way they do that, <laughs> back in those days, you really had three newspapers. You had the Banner ran two editions, mm-hmm. the noon edition and the afternoon edition, and the uh, Tennessean ran the morning edition. But they, they had court reporters coming in every 10 minutes <laughs> and getting the notes from the court reporter that had been in the courtroom, taking those notes and running them down to the printing press. And running them verbatim uh, in in the next edition of the newspaper, and it, it, it was quite interesting. There's a, there's a thing in law called sequestration of witnesses. You know, the witness is not supposed to hear any testimony mm-hmm. uh, to taint their own testimony. And you walk outside, and people would be on the benches reading <laughs> what had just happened in uh, uh, in the courtroom, and it was. Um, it was quite, uh, uh, it was almost like a circus kind of a- atmosphere. I lived, as I said, uh, an apartment uh, <clears throat> two blocks from there. And sometimes I would get to work early, I mean, really mm-hmm. early, five, six o'clock. And there'd already be people standing outside the courthouse trying to get in, waiting. Wow. Uh, a lot of a fascination with the yeah, case. That's just incredible that they, you had all these people waiting to get in just to hear this trial. You yes. know, and th- that was why they were there. And it's really, I mean, it seems like that between the Gurley family and the Powell family, they're both well-known, I guess. They're both. Uh, yeah, they, uh, it had all of the elements. They were both uh, uh, Bell Mead, uh-huh. uh, high society. They, uh, <clears throat> as I recall, uh, the day Martin Luther King was killed, I believe, which was April the 4th in 1968. That was the same day that the victim, Haney Gurley, was opening up a new uh, franchise out here on Murfreesboro Road, a hmm. m- magnificent modern thing. And the governor was there. I mean, even the though governor he was there. just calling out the troops, uh, you know, to uh, patrol the streets, but he was not going to miss the opening wow. of Haney Gurley's uh, Chevrolet dealership. That's, and that was the capital Chevrolet yes. out there? And the governor came for the opening. Oh, yeah. How about that? I think probably a senator and That's uh, incredible. every big wig in yeah. Nashville. So this this dealership hadn't been open very long, and I guess the two of them were there. Was he like a—he was a partner in some way, Bill Powell? Yeah, but this this was a— Oh, was, okay. Capital—Mr. Uh, Gurley had uh, had been in the Chevrolet business for many, many, many years. He used to be down on Broad, and they moved out there. This was—they had just renovated and— and, and made a new building out mm-hmm. there. That mm-hmm. That's what he was opening then. Wow, that's incredible. And then uh, he was killed a month later. A month later, a month later. And um, well, when the when the trial started, I guess um, your I guess your first impressions are there parts to the early trial that stand out to you, like some of the things that were said or the witnesses that were called. I know they they I know there was a, I assume there was a manhunt for the alleged killer, and so that went. Through town, you know, and, um, and there was there was a manhunt, and <clears throat> uh, Mr. Powell uh, gave some conflicting stories, as as I recall from fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh yes, so don't hold me to all of it. Uh, he said that uh, a black man uh, got into his rolling automobile. He he and Mr. Gurley were going out for a fifteen minute ride to discuss. But he assumed the, the breakup of the business. Powell oh. was essentially being crowded out, hmm. and the idea was that Billy Gurley, the son, <clears throat> was going to take over as soon as he could. 
and Powell was being removed from uh, the leadership position, and and he he was very upset mm. about that. That was a state's yeah. position, and so they went out for fifteen minutes, and uh, they were back within fifteen minutes uh, with uh, Mr. Gurley slumped in the front seat with his head uh, described as being on the floorboard. The right hand. Uh, window had been shot out. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Gurley, Gurley had been hit by three bullets above shoulder length, um, and they were all on, on the left side. Um, and there was one bullet that was fired from the back seat. Hmm. And the state's theory was that Mr. Powell intended to kill him, and what he did was he had, had the gun between the two front seats, and he reached around and fired it through the back of the seat. Nice. And and actually the doctors found that bullet. It never went in it never went into his back. Hmm. It just bruised it a little bit. Really? But the other shots were from the left hand side and uh, I believe it was the ear and chest hmm. area is is my recollection. Uh and then it was the state's theory that <clears throat> Powell took Mr. Gurley's wallet, <clears throat> threw it in the back seat. I think it had $200 in it hmm. And uh, when it was found and actually got the gun and fired where he nicked uh, his calf. Hmm. But he just barely nicked it <laughs> uh, to, to make it look like he, he had been, been in a running gun battle or whatever. Yeah, and... Uh, and then he went to uh, to the hospital, and he, he sent his shoes out uh, to, and his pants out to to be cleaned. <laughs> there was no uh, evidence of uh, hmm. powder burn uh, on his coat. He kept the coat, and it had a lot, a lot of blood on it. Uh, but uh, early on in the trial, it became obvious that. Uh, the defense was taking the underdog role, <laughs> and they were um, uh, they really attacked the the DA personally. Really, uh, you, you didn't attack Mr. Hooker. I mean, they were they had such <laughs> respect for each other, and yeah. and I read part of the transcript uh, years ago, and the thing that struck me about reading the transcript, and it still strikes me when I, I read transcripts. Transcripts do not give a, a real picture of what happened in the courtroom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you get two good lawyers like that, they have gestures that they use <laughs> and they accentuate words uh -huh, and they uh -huh. raise their voices and they, and then sometimes it's almost like a whisper. And it, it's just really that, that, that comes across and really makes a difference. If you mm -hmm, read, if mm -hmm. you read a cold transcript, it's saying, gee, that's not, there's nothing there. That's yeah. no big deal. But if you hear it and you see it, it's far different than just reading the cold word. That's pretty amazing. So they, so, so both of these attorneys knew how to sort of, sort of uh, work a jury, I guess, or how to, how to take perceptions off of that and how to uh, couch things in such a way that, well, it's, this may or may not be correct, you know. Yeah, neither one of them left anything to chance. Uh, uh -huh. Let me give you an example. Okay. Mr. Norman had been trying cases for I don't know how many years. 
decades, and and so had Mr. Hooker. <clears throat> Tried some of the biggest cases uh, in the nation. Mr. Uh, the Attorney General of the United States and Jack Kennedy had got mm. uh, Mr. Hooker to uh, prosecute the Hoffa case, and uh, <clears throat> Mr. Norman had in that case he defended Hoffa's lawyer uh, <laughs> after he was caught uh, trying to bribe the jury. Uh, but they were both – they never left any item to, to chance. And I started to tell you, they, Mr. Norman had kept up all those years an index – on index cards, every juror that had served in Davidson County, he'd make notes on it. Good, and and if, even if he wasn't on the case, he'd, he'd get somebody to say, what, how, who, was, who was on that jury and what did you like and what did what'd you, what'd you think about them? And so he always believed that jury selection uh, – would help you in the sense that you could relate to that juror. You knew his family. Mm. Uh, you maybe known about uh, some tragedy in his in his life or hers or uh, things that just help you relate to a person when because you know them better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think that was a great help to him. And uh, and and he well he said he said in later years that. Uh, He'd spent most of his life selecting jurors. That was a, that that was how he won them. That's an incredible resource. Yeah, they, you they, know. Um, so right. he's 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 bringing. So um, the prosecution is bringing uh, uh, quite a. I mean, you're bringing quite a quite a talented set. We have you. and We have uh, was it uh, Mr. Norman and then and the DA and the DA uh, uh, Shriver and then did the the defense over there. Did they bring in anybody or did you? Uh, they, 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 uh, the uh, Jack Norman's partner in it was uh, another great lawyer, Cecil Branstetter, mm-hmm. who's a legend in this town. And th- their third man at the at the council table uh, was Bill Moody, mm-hmm. who, uh, the lawyer here in town. Uh, but again, there were there were several lawyers in in the background on both sides. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, that's amazing. So we had. Um so what are some so some of the things that uh, is there some things that stood out to you as far as um, um, you know something that really changed the case? Uh, um, well, uh, there's an eyewitness. I, Mr. Was, uh, uh, I became very close after the trial and somewhat before to, to both those lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jack Norman, uh, <laughs> I was eventually his. Uh, uh, grandson-in-law, I married as a granddaughter. Um, but I spent uh, the next year a lot of time with Mr. Hooker, and mm-hmm. he he constantly had this case on his mind. He only lived a year after this case, but I'm really? telling you, it was he was preoccupied with mm-hmm. how did we lose that? How did we mm-hmm. lose that case? And so we dissected it uh, <laughs> for a year. Trying to figure out. Now, I have my own uh, uh, opinions about about why it was lost. Uh, I think, first of all, maybe not first of all, but one factor that went into it was we had you could hire back then special prosecutors from mm-hmm. the bar mm-hmm. itself. I mean, Mister Mister Hooker was the the Gurley family's lawyer, really, and. I think it gave, I felt that it gave the perception to the jury that maybe this is just about money. 
Hmm. And there was yeah. a lot of money oh, involved. Yeah. A lot of money riding on this trial. Really? A, <laughs> a, a, a great deal of money. The dealership, in essence, was riding uh-huh. on this trial. And they, the jury knew that. Uh, I think another thing that, that hurt us was in the middle of uh, uh, the trial, we went to trial without a, a really solid eyewitness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is a circumstantial evidence case. Uh, and we went to trial without the gun. Hmm. We had okay. searched everywhere out there, had the, the National Guard looking and inmates and everybody wow. looking for this gun. Well, lo and behold, in the middle of the trial, <laughs> the gun is found uh, so sticking, sticking in the mud. Uh, by a row crew, uh, a mowing crew found it, as I recall, and it had been sticking in the mud so long and it had uh, one bullet in it left. Hmm. which matched how many shots were fired that day. One bullet left, sticking in the mud, and it had <laughs> rusted the inside of the chamber, which made it impossible to definitely say, this I is see. the gun. That's the gun. But it was the same type that was used. Mm-hmm. The bullets were the same. Uh, and uh, that looked suspicious. Yeah, I see. Uh, now, the, I guess the positive part of that is, is that we, we were able to start tracing the gun all the way back to Italy and bringing it forward <laughs> wow. as to who had it, when and where. Mm-hmm. We had the FBI helping us and so forth. And we put the gun in the hands, uh, it was a National Guard gun, and then put it in the hands of Bob Frensley, Bob Frensley Chevrolet. Bob Frensley, the Ford, the... Yeah, here wow. in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And Friendsley, we 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 called Friendsley, and Friendsley said, uh, "Oh yeah, I gave that gun to Bill Powell." <laughs> oh boy! And Bill Powell said, "I never owned a gun in my life," mm-hmm. uh, so he denied it vehemently that he ever had a gun, that, that Friendsley ever gave him a gun. <laughs> but Friendsley was a dramatic. Uh, That's uh, quite a twist, I guess. It, it, was, yeah. it, it was. It yeah. was. A, it was a twist. Um, the the other thing, and, th- and this is just me, mm-hmm. um, sure. I thought we had an eyewitness to come forward. Uh-huh. Uh, Walter Davis was his name. Had been on a construction crew out there, and he came forward and and said he had seen two people stop at that intersection, and they got out and they came around the back of the car, and it looked like they were raising their hands and they were arguing and so forth. Uh, then he heard a noise, I believe he said. Uh, and then drove off. Well, that fit exactly what the uh, the theory of the state was. Uh-huh. And also there was a big reward out mm-hmm. at, at mm-hmm. that time for anybody oh, to yeah. come and break the case. I, I, I felt that that just looked a little too fishy, and I think the jury felt that way too. I don't know. Well, you know, just, just uh, sitting here listening to you, it does sound a bit odd. You know, yeah. that, that this case is so well publicized and, and here way, way into it, you know, the gun reappears and this, this witness yeah. reappears and, yeah. But to tell you how prepared everybody was, the defense called uh, some gunpowder expert from <laughs> Wisconsin Wow! In, in their case in chief. And... Uh, to say that he had examined Powell's coat and based upon the uh, where he found certain particles of, uh, of soot and so forth and gunpowder, that 
it was consistent with Powell's story that it was fired from the back back seat. Hmm. Uh, well, this was de- in those days you didn't have to d- disclose who your experts were. Oh, really? Huh? You do now. Yeah. Uh-huh. But so we had no idea this guy was coming out of left field. <laughs> but I'm telling you, he was powerful. Wow. And uh, and it was like four o'clock in the afternoon, and Mr. Hooker was wise enough to say, "Judge, it's late in the afternoon." Can we have an adjournment until in the morning? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Judge Cornelius granted that. We all went to Mr. Hooker's farm. I mean, the old whole entourage, <laughs> and we had agents, and the TBI. Um, you were kidding! Uh, wow! Uh, several police officials, and you know what are we going to do? This is really a blow to us, and it could uh, just destroy the whole case. Mm-hmm. We had. I mean, we had, through the director of the FBI, we, we had FBI agents that were experts. And I remember one in Iowa, we were calling and calling all over the country, you know, figuring out who is this guy and <laughs> how, do we, how do we attack him? Yeah. And it was just going back and forth and, and drinking scotch whiskey. <laughs> and, and finally, they, they all left. We, we said, well, we're just cross-examining the best way we can. Uh-huh. But to show you how Mr. Hooker and Mr. Norman thought, I was left there alone with with, with Mr. Hooker. Mm. It's, it's getting close to midnight. Good night. And um, he looked at me, and, and he said, in this very deep voice, he said, Hal, you need to go to Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I said, well, I, uh, maybe I oh, should. Okay. <laughs> but I said, uh, first of all, how am I going to get there? And I excused myself and went to the restroom and washed my hands. And, and uh, I came back, and he leaned back in his chair, and he said, I got a jet airplane on the runway warming up for you Good out at Berry Field. Go get on the airplane. I looked at him, <laughs> and I said, well, it's midnight. I said, what am I supposed to do when I get to Wisconsin? <laughs> and he looked like, that hadn't even occurred to him either. He, <laughs> so he looked at me and he said, find a witness. <laughs> so that was my instructions. And it was a stormy night and uh, Mrs. Hooker didn't like to fly and I don't like to fly when it's stormy. And uh, Good night. I said, okay, I'm going. And I, I, I'm walking out the door and Mrs. Hooker uh, slips up. I feel the scotch in my pocket. He says, this will help you on the ride. <laughs> so anyway, I get out there and there's a jet. And it's warming up, and I, I board it and, and and take off. And I'm in Madison, I guess, in, in an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. And I land there, and, and uh, uh, still early morning, <laughs> and uh, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I decided, well, I'll go to the sheriff's office. Uh, I didn't have a motel room. I didn't have anything. So I'm wandering to the sheriff's office <laughs> at, I don't know, 5 o'clock in the morning, and I said, I'd like to see the sheriff. And, of course, I— Smelled of oh, scotch, yeah, yeah, yeah. and my beard was already, <laughs> already uh, yeah, had a five o'clock shadow and all that. <laughs> and uh, and she thought I was probably some homeless guy coming in there. And I persuaded her that I was really serious. This is legitimate, yeah. <laughs> so finally, the sheriff came in. He came in quite early. Uh, and again, he I think he was skeptical, skeptical. <laughs> but I told him what the situation was in, and he said, "Oh, I know that guy. He's really? he's a crook. He's no good." Uh, we don't wow. even use him. Good His lab that. is really bad. I can tell you all kind of things. But I just went on and on and on. What a find. And and I thought, this is the guy that can, you know, really attack this guy. Yeah. So I, um, I told him, I said, um, I, I need for you to come to Nashville with me. 
I mean, really, <laughs> seriously, and and testify. This is really big, and you're a law enforcement man, and I, I'm I'm begging you to come with me, and to come down and testify today. And he said, "Well, how are we gonna get there?" And I, <laughs> I did my best hooker imitation. I leaned back and looked him straight. And I, so I got a jet airplane out here warming up. <laughs> so, That's a great line. So, <laughs> I can't believe they put you on a beer. This a brand new attorney and this this key piece of this trial, and they put you on a plane to Madison. Well, I was Wisconsin. the only fool that would do it. Probably, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, and, and he and he just denied. It just shows the way the man's thought, Hooker. I mean, he had such a great imagination. Yeah, you know, he thought outside the box. He thought big uh-huh. time. That's incredible. Now, very few people would have thought about doing anything like that. Well, yeah. And we were lucky that we were able to get this guy and got mm-hmm. him there by 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> 9 o'clock that day? Yeah. Good worked. night. Well, so you haven't slept in almost 24 hours. Yeah, they, they, they did ask me to go home and shower. And <laughs> so I, I did that. Uh, I could just see that there's there's some guy out here that's <laughs> yeah, some homeless guy. Some homeless guy wants to see the sheriff. <laughs> lock him up. That must be insane. That's but. great. That's great, Mr. Harden. <laughs> well, so uh, so you get him down there, and the trial is going on, and um, I guess these two are really battling it out, you know. And um, so, I guess toward the end of the trial, was there anything about the end of it, or the, did y'all do a, a like a summation or anything like that when you? Well, we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> And our strategy was that Tom Shriver, the DA, mm-hmm. would give what you call the opening statement. Mm-hmm. And the state, because it has the higher burden of proof, has the right to for an opening statement. And then the defense comes, and the defense can only argue once. The state mm-hmm. then gets what you call rebuttal, to rebut whatever the defense has said. Okay. So... Our strategy was there was that Tom Shriver, who's a DA, uh, the chief law enforcement officer in the county, would make his opening statement, which basically would just lay out the facts. Here's what happened. And, and here, ladies and gentlemen, remember the proof. Remember so-and-so testified. Hmm. X testified. Here's the evidence. Nothing dramatic. Just here are the, the hard, cold facts. It was not a uh, a persuasive uh, kind of dramatic argument at all. Hmm. Okay. It was matter of fact. Hmm. Really. Uh, no, no, no drama in it. Uh, Tom was an extremely smart guy, but he he didn't have the drama uh, of Hooker or I Norman. Mm-hmm. So it, it was. Mr. Norman called it. I'll use his word. He said it was ineffectual. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, when when Tom sat down, Mr. Norman stood up and said, I don't know exact words, but charge the jury. Hmm. We don't want to argue anymore. <laughs> really? And he sat down, and, and people were scrambling around. Yeah. Uh, what is that? And I understand that he discussed that with the Powell family and—, and with some of the lawyers on that mm-hmm, side, mm-hmm. and they were really didn't want him to do that. They wanted him to argue, hmm. uh, but he was convinced that he was right, and he had the courage to say, "I believe I'm right. Mm-hmm. I believe this is the best strategy. I'm not going to argue." And and very few people have ever 
seen that happen. It, it's very rare you you do that. It took me 40 years <laughs> until I got the right case to do that. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you don't do it in every case. Cause well, I was, it's, cause it's, <laughs> it really puts yeah, you yeah, on a yeah, limb, yeah, doesn't it? I mean, it does put you on a limb. Yeah. And, and, you know, your, your client wants you to get up and argue and sell. Yeah. But, but sometimes less is, less is less, more. Less is more. And uh, so it, I think that was a wise decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I still thought the state had carried its burden. And it was several hours later that the jury uh, said they had a verdict, and they came walking in. And my thoughts at the time was uh, about the Powell children. Mm-hmm. I, we were all oh. there, all crowded together, oh, yeah. and I'd gotten to know the Powell children mm-hmm. and Mrs. Powell, and I liked them. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you try to be civil and courteous, courteous to, to everybody. and. Uh, and my, my thoughts were, I just feel so sorry for those little children. You know, yeah. they're, they're going yeah. to come in here and say, put, say their daddy's guilty of first-degree murder. Well, they opened the door to, to the, the jury room or where they come out and to the jury box. And uh, I, I remember her name, Mrs. Chastain. Hmm. Mrs. Chastain was the second, I believe, juror out. And she looked over at Bill Powell, and she smiled, the biggest smile, really? the biggest grin. And I said, no, no, you've go. got to be kidding. How about that? And, I, of course, I knew. You knew it right then. Oh, I knew it yeah. right then. Yeah. I mean, she wouldn't be looking at him and smiling if, if he was guilty. If he was guilty. Well, and, that's uh, true. Yeah. Wow. And um, uh, Now, that's and, quite uh, a memory for that to stick out. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I remember. I remember that. I can see her face. And she came in when she, uh, because it, it left uh, such a So they, they sit down and they, nice. they, they said not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty, and there were screaming headlines the next. Well, there were screaming headlines every day, but this one was the biggest. And it's a well, this you know this trial. It's um, it, it's almost like Nashville's O.J. trial in a way because you had all these elements in there. You know, all of y'all were trying it, and then it's um, you know, it's Bell Mead, it's money, it's it's the the power of these positions, it's two personalities. I mean, all of this seemed like this would, you know, if it were now, it would be on every TV station. You know. And uh, it's pretty incredible that you were there. It probably would be on court TV. Court TV, uh, yeah. 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 And it, uh, it's just incredible that you were there. And I appreciate you sharing all this with me, you know. And, and uh, you, you were around some amazing folks. You're pretty amazing yourself. But but that period is, is um, you know, it just seems like well, nothing like that would happen again, I don't think, in that particular way. You know? Well, the, 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 the next week uh, after that, I was— my docket was down in the General Sessions Court traffic <laughs> violations. <laughs> I fell well. pretty far <laughs> in one week. Here we go. <laughs> Working on speeding tickets. Yeah, that's right. Last week was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't return your calls now, do they? <laughs> that's great, no. Mr. Harden. Well, uh, um, any uh, any other things you'd like to comment upon with this trial or anything you'd like to well, say? Well, I think I could go on for a long, long time, but yes. it's. I think we've hit all— Basically, the, the high points that um, there was going to be, um, there was some movie group out of mm-hmm. Hollywood that really? wanted to make a movie. I think the name of it was going to be Who Killed Haney? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that never happened. But I understand that a, that a leading publisher now is is uh, is going to, has, has authorized the publication 
of a book about it. So I guess there'll be one more yeah. book about it. It's Might been be. talked. It's it's been memorialized in several books mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> around town. Uh, but it um, it, it was it was a great it was a great. It was a great trial. Oh, to put, as far put, as trials go, it seemed like it was like almost like the perfect storm to put all those people together and and um, for that one trial. And yeah, I, it was, and and it was a long list of witnesses. I think a couple of judges uh, testified. Wow. I think the lieutenant governor Gorell testified. <laughs> the presidents of banks. Uh, so this drew in all, all it drew our, in, our society. It drew in and a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. That's pretty amazing. Well, um, and um, and you were there for the, uh, you know, the the. I'm, I'm very excited about this because you know, a first person. I mean, you were there and you saw, you worked with these people and you knew them and and could watch them as they they worked the the case and the jury and it seemed like this whole this whole thing came together as a just quite a quite a story. Well, I, I, I that's the reason I came back for it. I knew mm-hmm. it was what. I called the last two raw of the old timey trial cases, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm so glad that I did. I took a big pay cut <laughs> to do it, <clears throat> but it was certainly uh, worth it. And then to get uh, to know uh, all these individuals, but I, I didn't tell you about uh, in discussing mm-hmm. this case with with Mr. Hooker and Mr. Norman mm-hmm. over the years. Um, Mr. Norman, when asked about waiving the <clears throat> final argument, he said, look, he says it was around 4.30 in the afternoon. Tom Shriver, the DA, had just put on an argument that I didn't think was very effective. Mm-hmm. And he said, I knew right then that the uh, judge would call a break and uh, we'd come back in 10 minutes and then uh, uh, my co-counsel Cecil Brandstetter would make a statement, and then I'd make my argument. And by that time, it'd be 6.30 or so. And the judge then, he's, he's thinking ahead on all this, the judge then will send these people out to supper, as he said. <laughs> we'll send them to supper. Send them to supper. And then they're going to come back with a full belly, and they'll be introduced to John Hooker Sr. on a full belly. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew what he could do. If wow. nothing else, he would wow. tie that jury Hmm. He would hang that jury. Really, really. So I mean, he he. So uh, he really uh, knew he knew the strategy of well, both I, and could I, interpret. Yeah, he uh, he. Wow. Uh, so, but be introduced to John Hooker Senior on a full belly. <laughs> I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's not fair. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> that's, you know, that, some of this amazes me. It's it's like the old South in a way. You know, with very much, very much like the, but the yeah. old South, and uh, you know, um, and I guess you know the courtroom. I you know it it. Um, it's a small courtroom, and these people have gotten there at six o'clock to see it, and the hallways are full, and people chattering about it, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, incredible. all the television stations were there all mm-hmm. day long. Mm-hmm. All the r- reporters uh, were there. It was it was a, it was a crowded, crowded place. That's incredible. A lot, a lot of drama. Yeah, and um, Judge, it was Judge uh, Cornelius. Judge Allen Cornelius. Yeah, it was Cornelius. one of his uh, one of his first criminal trials. And unfortunately, I was just thinking, I, I guess I'm the lone survivor of all this yes, now. Yeah. And, uh, sadly to say that uh, all those gentlemen and and people that were involved are, are gone now, are gone but they were now. really 
uh, there were some fine, fine people on both sides. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, you're quite a treasure to have today, and I appreciate your time. It's been, uh, you know, to, to be around all this, and it's, it's just a fascinating look at this trial. And, and you know, it's 50 years ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So it's, it's amazing um, that all this occurred, and I, I'm so glad to uh, talk about it and bring back, you know, this is what happened here, and this was the I don't think there's been a trial. Well, I don't know much about it, but I don't think there's been a trial since even come close. Not like that one. Not like that one. Oh, and I forgot to mention one other small fact. Uh-huh. Uh, dur- during the middle of the trial, uh, Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that was in July of 69. July of 69. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that, yeah. Um, did, uh, did um, like, like major news like that, did, could you bring that in? Could they tell the jury that, or did that have any effect? I mean, as far as— I, I don't think—I I don't know. Well, I mean, I think we were—well, uh, uh, I'll tell you this. I, I remember—my recollection is that the judge stopped the trial to uh, to let everybody know that the, he was going to land on the moon. Really? And, really? And, uh, yeah. I remember we went into the DA's office and watched it on— on TV. How about and that? It was quite a yeah, obviously yeah. A major, major. Event. Oh well, yeah, that's that's uh, you yeah. know that's that you need to see. But uh, stop the trial. That's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been great, Mister Harden. It's well, really thank been you. great. It's been my honor. Oh, I so appreciate your time today, and uh, it's great to talk to someone that uh, was sitting right there on the table, you know, and heard the whole trial um, from beginning to end, and and, he <laughs> and even came back from. A pretty decent job in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, sir. Glad to have you here today. All right, thank you.